So good to be together this morning. Welcome. Hope you felt welcomed as you came in, whether you've been coming here for weeks, months, years, or first time, our online family. We welcome you. We thank you for tuning in and being here uh, with us and hope that you could get a sense of how big and worthy our Jesus is like we did in the room uh, this morning. We, we are ending our series this week. It's been really good. It's been really encouraging uh, for me, I hope for you, to just sit back and remind ourselves what we're about as a church and, and what we're called to be. So this is the sixth of six. This is us. Um, if you want to know more about our church and you, and you miss some of those, and each, each week has kind of been a pillar of, of what we're about and, and what's really important here, um, so you can go back and catch those online on YouTube or our website, whatever's best for you. I do want to highlight something that happened last week because that was a big deal. Um, this is us, part of who we're going to be. We, we just believe in long term, right? Just plugging away and instead of getting real excited about one thing and then moving on to something else, just what can happen, the beauty of just staying with people and things and, and initiatives. And so years ago, and we won't retell that story, but years ago, we, we fell led by God to La Ceiba, Honduras as our global partner uh, with Compassion. So last week was just an incredible testimony of a Compassion kid um, whose life was forever changed by being sponsored as a child. Now, he wasn't from La Ceiba because there are no La Ceiba Compassion kids that are grown up yet because we are First, we're pioneers. We're the first, um, you know, church to go and, and partner with a specific place in La Ceiba, Honduras. We've sent team uh, mission trips there. We'll go in the future when the pandemic allows. But, but last week we got to hear from just a great testimony, and, and uh, Raf, uh, our associate pastor, Raf Gonzalez, did a great job of, of preaching who we are. So it's forty dollars a month. It's part of what we're always going to be about. Um, going into last week, we had fifty some kids in La Ceiba, Honduras that are sponsored by Relentless Folks. That means they get uh, education, healthcare, and the gospel um, through their Compassion Partnership through one of you. Um, now, I don't know the number because it's in the 60s, but just so you know, as you go out today, there are still um, kids in La Ceiba that their packets are there. There's also some on our website that are not out here. It's not the same kids. So there's some on our website and there's some out here. And for $40 a month, as was not guest on last week, but was proven with the testimony for $40 a month, uh, you can change a kid's life, which is like, what's better than that? Changing a kid's life. I was, um, well, I'll save that for, for next week. I've heard some cool stories, uh, some families and how they're coming up with that money in order to change a life. Um, so those will be out there the next few weeks, but we'd love for you to take one today if you want to get in on that. Tomorrow night, Vasti uh, mentioned it. Um, it's, uh, it's a big night for us. It's Welcome to Relentless. It's, it's an event. It's fun. It's casual. It's no pressure. Um, but it's just to let you know who we are, where we're going, which is part of in the series, but also like how you fit into that. All right. So it's a really, we do these three times a year. Uh, this will be the last one of 2021. Um, it is in person only. Um, so it is not too late to get in on that. Uh, but we would love for you to get on the website and RSVP today. So we are expected and excited to have you here tomorrow night. We will be out in plenty of time for Monday night kickoff, just if that's an issue for you. Um, I apologize. Let me start with an apology as I get into what we're talking about today. Two weeks ago, I preached on um, birthday Sunday, um, and I, 
unintentionally scared some of you. Um, some of you thought that I was getting ready to announce something awful or that I was sick or that I was leaving the church. And I didn't mean, I didn't mean to do that. So I'll, I'll not make that mistake again. Um, but we're just getting real with where we've come and how hard some of these things have been. And we, we're transparent here. We, we don't mind talking about hard, but it's excited to get back up here today and talk about one of my favorite things, um, and that is the multi-ethnic church. You know, we say all the time we're a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God that's been in us now for seven years. And for some of you, in fact, many of you online and in the room, um, you've been coming to our multi-ethnic church, but you haven't heard us preach much about that because you've just been with us for months or, or maybe even a year or so since we really got into this. And for some of you that have been with us for a long time, uh, we're always figuring out each day, each year, what multi-ethnic church really means for us. So we're going to just kind of unpack some of that this morning together and and what it means here. This is us, Relentless Church, what it means here to be a multi-ethnic church. Because I've talked to a lot of people and a lot of pastors, and I've yet to have somebody come up to me and like, I just, I'm against it. I'm anti-multi-ethnic church, right? I'm sure there's people that believe that, but they don't. They don't say that to me. Um, the issue is when you get underneath, hey, yeah, that's cool, multi-ethnic church. When you get underneath like the what and the why, oh my goodness, there's a hundred different views and takes and perspectives of what a multi-ethnic church should be, could be, and is. So for us, diversity was never the goal, right? It's not a bad word. Diversity is a good word, but it was never the goal. We always said in the movie theater uh, when, we, when we met over at Regal, uh, they achieve diversity every day, right? There's a diverse crowd sitting in the same seats we used to worship in. That isn't, that's not powerful, right? It's just, it just is. So, so we're not trying to shoot for diversity. We're going to talk about what we are shooting for. But let me give you a little history lesson um, because everybody needs a little history on Sunday, right? The multi-ethnic church dates back um, 2,000 years to the first century. Um, and we got a lot going on. Like you got to remember, our church was was started and, and planted September 2014, 9-14-14. That was a month after Ferguson um, happened, and it's been pretty much consistently through our years of, of those type of events and the national and the result and the protests and then everything even escalated more. So, so it's been a seven years. It's been part of the national tension, um, and it's been part of what we talk about here and we've several Sundays and we just try to listen to the spirit on when we change what we were going to talk about and, and talk about something that is on our minds as a multi-ethnic church. Um, and I don't really think there's a lot of value in trying to compare the tension today between different things and groups and people and ethnicities to the first century. But, but just to say, man, it was deep in the first century between Jews and Gentiles. And Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, basically, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Those were the groups. And there was a bunch of subsets and issues between different Roman groups and Greek groups and different Jews that were this kind of Jew and that kind of Jew, or, or some of them uh, called Samaritans that had, that had uh, married uh, non-Jews. So then if you were a Jew and married a non-Jew, then you were half Jew, which they called Samaritans. And there was all kinds of prejudice and bias and ridiculousness in that because it came down to the Jews felt like they were God's people because God had told them that they were. And if you weren't a Jew, then you weren't God's people, right? And then Jesus shows up, who's a Jew, and who does he attack? These Romans that are oppressing 
No, he keeps attacking the Jewish religious leaders. That's who he keeps going after. And he keeps not just like nitpicking little things, but he says, you're actually not even part of God's family because you're teaching all this religion and I'm not here for religion. You think you're somebody, you're trying to make your outside look good and God cares about the inside and you're doing it wrong. And you know the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament now, you know the scriptures, you know that there's a Messiah that's supposed to come and free everybody, the son of God and I'm him. And they were like, no, if the Messiah was here, he wouldn't talk to us like that and he would, this is not all our view of God. So there was this constant friction. Eventually, that's what got Jesus killed. He wouldn't stop pushing on the religious establishment. So they killed him and they got the Romans to help them and use the Romans execution method of the cross. Jesus, what we built our faith and our church on, right? Not just us. He rose from the dead. That's why we sing it. Like we just, we're going nuts since football season. Some of you are in a stadium last night and loving life and, and we're cheering these athletes and that's fine. That's beautiful. Dude rose from the dead, right? He didn't, he didn't slip a tackle, right? He, he rose from the dead. So we just can't not like give him like worthy and it's spilling out of us, right? So we're coming because he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. The multi-ethnic church of Jesus Christ began from that. Here's the problem. The, Jesus, this all happened in Jerusalem, which was uh, a lot of Jews were there. And then eventually Christianity spread. And these missionaries, a guy named Paul who didn't believe that Jesus was real. He was an untold, unconvinced. He was a religious man, but hated Christians. And then Jesus did what he did on, to Paul's heart, what he's done to many of our hearts. He changed him. He said, no, I'm real. Paul became a Christian, became a missionary. He would show up in these places. There were full of Romans that never heard of Jesus and full of Jews that had heard maybe some. And, and, and he preached the gospel, not safe in here in a church like this. He'd preach it out in the, wherever people would listen. And people would be like, I believe this. It's a miracle. I don't know how. I believe that there was a man named Jesus who was the son of God who died on a cross for my sins and raised from the dead. And they became Christians and they were baptized into Jesus. And then it was over. No, then they became part of a church. But here's the problem. In this church were Jews and all their Jewish customs that are holy, and you got to do this and wash your hands this way because God said so, and pagans, Greeks, dirty Romans that don't know any of those customs, but they just believe in the same Jesus. So we get the inside track on how this church launched and how it did. And just so you know, before we look at scripture, there's never ever a hint from God that his will would be, let's have a 9 a.m. Jew church and a 1030 Gentile church and we'll, all, we'll just so that way we don't, we, you know, they can do it their way and they can do it their way and like then we'll all get together in heaven. There's no hint of that. They work it out and it's ugly. It's not like a Disney movie, right? Where it's like they don't get along and then two hours later they're all family. It is ugly and messy and guess what? It has been for 2,000 years. It's, it's messy. I got an amen from the kids room on that one. If you sit on, just so you know in our church, hey, this side's a little colder than this side, right? If you don't like cold and this side's a little louder with the kids. So whatever you like, it's just, we, 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 we'll go with your, your preference. Let's get into what 
Paul said actually happened, Ephesians 2. There's a, so much in this chapter. I've preached this many times when we talk about multi-ethnic church. I'm not going to go all in on that today. Um, you, can, you can go all in. I would love that. But it, pick up mid-chapter. He's talking about what Jesus accomplished for us. And what now I'm going to talk about what that means for us. But now in Christ Jesus, you, he's talking specifically to the Gentiles, you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Jesus that brings us close to him, not our performance. Verse 14, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one. Who's both? He's talking specifically about Jew and Gentile. He's made us both one, and he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's a reference to the temple where I'm a Gentile, you're my Jewish friend, you invite me to church, we can go and hang out in the outer court. There's a wall that I can't go past because I'm not a Jew. I'm not allowed to. What's the penalty if I do? Death. Okay. Jesus, it says, what he broke down is all of that. The wall that, then that's hostile, right? Because you can be my friend. Oh, I get to come to church with you. Hey, you can't come past this point. What, what's going to happen if I do? Oh, we'll kill you. That's hostile, right? Our friendship has a, has a limit, right? Jesus, what did he do? He, he broke that down. In his flesh, I don't fully understand it. I just know it's beautiful. As he's dying the most torturous, brutal way that man has figured out how to kill somebody on a cross and crucifixion, as he's dying, he's breaking down the hostility that divides us. Wow. By abolishing, verse 15, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, he's abolishing the old covenant that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. That he might create one new thing, and it's humanity, it's not about gender. That we would be at peace with God. Look, verse 16, not just there, verse 16. And might reconcile, bring us back, us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He killed it. Praise God, the hostility is dead. We, we got some moans. Online, we got moans and groans. Because when we say that, the problem is we believe Scripture is true. He killed the hostility. But we all know, I think, that the hostility isn't dead. Well, that can still be true. The hostility isn't dead in the church. It, it's, it's, it, it may not, you know, it may be alive and well out there, but in God's church, the hostility isn't dead. And it, the problem with that is we've been around. And the hostility between races is very much alive. And sometimes, sometimes in our country, the breeding ground for racial hostility has been in the church of God. Does this make what Jesus accomplished any less true? No. He did kill the hostility. The issue is us stepping into what he accomplished and living out of that truth. He did what needed to be done as we attach to him, as we read scripture, as we believe it and live it out. We'll see what he said has happened. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. That's the gospel that you, that's what was so offensive to the Jews. My ethnicity makes me viewed differently to God than you. And the gospel says, no, 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 we're all sinners. 
That's what you show at the door. That's your ID. It's not you. It's not who raised you. It's not how many times you went to church, right? It's not what you did do or what you didn't do. It's not who you voted for. It is just sinner, hopeless, helpless, headed to hell. That's what I got. And that's what you got. So we're all at the foot of the cross together, hopeless and helpless, except for Jesus showed up. And a lot of us have learned that and heard that, but we only know that he came to die on a cross and raised. Now I can get to go to heaven. And it's so much better than that. He made you right with God and in the process made you right with man that we could be. What we so casually say around here, like, brother, what's up, brother? Brothers and sisters. Now, outside of a few, I had a lot to say today. I cut so much from this message. I got six weeks of stuff just in this, in this week because I'm used to doing multi-ethnic series. We're like, hey, let's give it a week in the This Is Us series. That was a mistake. So I'm not giving you the six hours. I cut a lot. And we'll get to that as we go and, and flow through it. But I tried to just, I always am surprised at what offends. <laughs> I tried to cut a bunch of the stuff that's offensive that's not really beneficial to us, right? But, but there's some stuff that it's just true. So you do with it what you want. Here, here's how I'm going to say this. Outside of some very beautiful exceptions, a very few beautiful exceptions, in 200 and whatever we are, 45 years of American history, there has been no multi-ethnic church. Right, this been, now this, now this been some, you can go find a church in the, back in the day, and it was a, but it's, it's been. In fact, I used to teach, I've told this story many times, I won't tell it again. Uh, go Google these guys if you know, it's, it's intriguing and, and crushing. Richard Allen, Absalom Jones, they started the AME church, and, and the way there was a, a church in Philadelphia where I've always taught and I've always read where African Americans and, and white people were worshiping together in Philadelphia in the 1700s. How crazy is that? They were worshiping together. And it, I, but I dug around on that because I just thought, man, that's so beautiful that, that that long ago that was happening until it fell apart. And the way it fell apart was, was they built a special section in the church in the balcony, and then they asked the African Americans to go and, and worship there. And, and they walked out and had to go. They had to go start their own church because of that discrimination within the church. But, but I found out as I read it, and I'm still studying, it looks like they never worshiped together. They just met in the same building and worshiped at different times. The African-American service was, check this, y'all, 5 a.m. We'll let you worship at 5 a.m. How much do you love Jesus? <laughs> 5 a.m. That's not, like, and, and, and they called that a win, Right, Because we're all worshiping together, and then it didn't last because they were removed. And then, you know, all you look at our history, it just hasn't been a multi-ethnic church. But yet, there's a lot of Bible-believing people in our country, right? We've got a lot of beautiful things about God and, and trusting God and the coming to existence. But, I mean, I didn't make up any scripture. He killed the hostility, but yet in America... We're so late to the party. Now, the multi-ethnic movement is new in America, but it's not new. Right? Like, first book of the scriptures is Genesis. The last is Revelation. It's all through there. 
right? It's not on the screen for you, but you go, Genesis 12, God visits Abram and he says, look, I'm going I'm to bless you and people who bless you are going to be blessed and curse you and be cursed. And I'm going to start a whole nation out of you. And, and Abraham was nobody, right? But I'm going to start a whole nation. Imagine God saying, hey, I'm going to start a nation from you. That's big. I'm going to start a nation for you. And in, in Genesis 12, three, it says, and all the families, or you can translate it ethnicities or races or nation, all the people of the world will be blessed through you. It was never, ever going to be a Jewish-centric thing. From the beginning, God called the shot. Here's what I'm going to do, and all ethnicities will be. It was a reference and a prophecy to Jesus. The last book of Scripture, Revelation, Revelation 5, it says that there's an introduction. This is the Lamb of God, Jesus, showing up, and it's this beautiful scene where it says, every tribe and tongue and nation, the Lamb of God purchased them with his blood. That what he did on the cross was not for a race or specific. It was for every tribe and tongue and nation that his blood was shed on the behalf of everybody. A couple chapters later, it's this beautiful scene of worship where everyone comes together. You imagine it's the United Nations in heaven before the Lamb of God. And they're all standing and worshiping what we just did. They're worshiping together. So the multi-ethnic church is simply... What God called his shot in Genesis 3,000 some years ago, what God gave us a picture of that's to come, that we're praying Jesus' prayer. Our Father lives in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Let's bring to earth what we know heaven is already going to be. Let's bring to earth, but not as like, hey, 21st century, it's time. Let's go. Let's get this figured out. But only a connection back to the New Testament church in the first century who figured it out that the gospel was bigger than whatever separates. So the multi-ethnic church movement, right? It's hard to say when it started. Some of you went to some stadiums back in the 90s, right? And there was this event called Promise Keepers, and God really used that. But nobody can say this is the date the multi-ethnic church movement started in America. It's real vague. It just kind of happened. I believe it's a move of God through the Holy Spirit. It's about 20 years old. It kind of started as, you know, 2000 to 2005. Somewhere in there, there started to be pastors start to talk and intentionality and like, let's do this on purpose. Let's start churches that are intentionally going to be multi-ethnic that are going to match whatever the demographics of their community are, right? So we don't get mad at churches that aren't multi-ethnic. There's some churches in Kansas that will never, ever be multi-ethnic because that's not who lives there, and that's okay, right? But for us, we were planted as a part of this multi-ethnic church movement. And, and they define it and they got all kinds of things, but they say you're a multi-ethnic church if you have 20%, at least 20%, basically any race, if it's a, if it's a Puerto Rican church and it's 85% Puerto Rican and 15% some other things, then, then by their definition, it's not a multi-ethnic church because they found sociologically at least 20% to have any kind of voice in, in an organization or a church. So that's that's how we started. That's how we launched. And here is the goal. Now that you know that history, the goal of us, if it's not diversity, what is it? Well, it's unity. But, but unity is such a vague word, right? Unity. U-N-I-T-Y. That's for you. Um, unity is, is, is vague. So, 
So we, we lean back on some of our pioneers of this movement. It's beautiful when you're in a movement and the pioneers are still alive. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans is, is and I call him the godfather of the multi-ethnic church movement. I don't think anybody else calls him that. But uh, he's still alive uh, in Dallas. But, but he has this great book and this great phrase that's biblical and beautiful that we use. The, the goal is not sameness, but oneness. So unity, what is unity? It's oneness, not sameness. So we're not going to be the same. And that's bigger than race. Like, you know, we got all kind of like, um, that's where we go wrong. And that's a whole nother message of, of assuming things based on, on race. So, so we're, not the, we're not the same within a race. We're not the same cross-racially, but we're not the same because God created us differently. We're not trying to be the same. What we're trying to be is one. So here's how we're going to say it. We are, our goal is unity built on two things, identity and proximity. Unity, okay, that's kind of a vague word that you can make mean whatever you want. What does unity mean at Relentless Church? Here's what it means. It's unity built on identity and proximity. Identity and proximity. Let's make sure we know what we're talking about when we say those two words. Identity in Christ. Right? We're a church for the untold and unconvinced, meaning some of you believed in God. You've never made a commitment to Jesus to follow him. We are here for you. Some of you are, I don't even know if there is a God. We are here for you. We're so glad you're here. Your identity, though, I'm talking to you that have made commitment to Jesus Christ. You would say, I am a Christian. I ain't perfect, but I follow Jesus. Your identity, first and foremost, is in him. It does not mean, and this is one of the black eyes of the multi-ethnic church. There's two big ones. Here's one. But sometimes people preach and honestly it's usually a white guy saying hey your identity is in Christ therefore leave your culture at the door it's not what your identity in Christ means. Your culture, right, and your history and, and, and your language, Vasti mentioned, like all that's God like part of you to your skin. Like we're not asking anybody to check anything. But all of us core identity is found in the same place. Here, here's how Peter, now Peter, before I show you the scripture, Peter had some racist tendencies. Peter was Jesus' right-hand guy. He was a fisherman with a nasty mouth, right? And he was one of the key guys, and he became one of the key, but, but he got called out in scripture, right? It's hard. Like, I don't call people out from stage. Right? That wouldn't go great. If I did, though, that would be rough. You went home like, man, I guess I was distracting the pastor. I got called out in front of the whole church. Peter got called out in scripture. Like, for the rest of your life, everybody can read the Bible and find out that you were a racist, right? He got called out in Galatians 2 by Paul for being discriminatory, right? His whole deal was he loved the Gentiles. He's like, the gospel, we're all good now. Woo we're good. We're Gentiles. I'm a Jew, but God made us together. We're family. They're eating chicken together. Everything's great. And then some religious leaders show up from a different town, and Peter gets nervous, and he starts to back away from his new friends. And he doesn't talk to him. Then Paul shows up and is like, Peter, what are you doing? You're out of step with the gospel. That's what Paul says in scripture. Not that, hey, you got to do better, Peter. No, this is connected. Gospel-centered church, the gospel and how we treat people is connected. Specifically, that context was race. So identity in Christ this is what Peter wrote later, right? He had some stuff to work out. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. But you, Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Your identity, you're a chosen race. You're a holy nation. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He made for himself a new people. Still today, some scholars will study that first Peter and connect it back to an Old Testament verse. And they'll say, I think he was just talking to Jews. It's like, come on. Like, how hard do you have to work? Zoom back and look at the totality of scripture and the gospel. And it's clear you weren't a people. Now you are a people. It's talking about God's multi-ethnic church, a chosen race, a holy nation, right? So when we see events around the world, our heart is first for our brothers and sisters, whatever side of the conflict they may or may not be on. That's our allegiance, right? And there's something in us, and my goodness, we could talk about it all day. There's something in us that just loves to be against somebody, Right, y'all watched the Olympics a few months ago? I feel like people weren't as into it as usual, but I watched the Olympics and I checked the medal count. And I'm not ashamed to say, I wanted us to win. Right, I checked the medal count. We were ahead the whole Olympics in the medal count, total medals, but we were always behind China or Russia in, in the uh, gold medals until the last day. The last day, we, I don't even like the events now, like squirrel chasing or something, we won. We, we won the gold medal count by one gold medal. Y'all seen squirrel chasing in the Olympics, right? So, so we won the Olympics, and I'm proud of that. I'm not an Olympian, but I'm an American. I was pulling for my country, and if you're from China or Russia, take that. Right, and that's okay, and that's fun. I'm, I'm thankful to be born where I've been born, but that can never supersede the holy nation that I'm a part of. I have brothers and sisters in China that met 12 or 16 hours ago, and they had to have somebody at the door as they opened the scripture and worshiped the same Jesus we just sang to because they could be imprisoned or worse for following the Jesus we follow. So when you have a, a, a headline about the China and the, the Wuhan and whatever, like we, we have brothers and sisters there, as we do in Russia, as we do in Afghanistan, as we do in Korea, as we do all over the world. And that's my first and most allegiance is to my God and to the holy nation and the chosen race that he has called out to make his people. That's our identity that's our identity. That's all I need to know about you. You follow Jesus? I, don't, I follow Jesus. We're the same team. Identity is great and huge. But if, if we have identity, this is, I think, the story of America in a lot of ways, the church. If we have identity without proximity, identity is never worthless, man. Our identity is in Jesus and he did this for us and he killed the hostility on the cross. But if we don't know that and if we don't have proximity, meaning closeness, relationally, I'm talking about spiritual proximity, tightness, intimacy with people. Here's the reality. We historically in our country have not known each other. What are you talking about? You're talking about black, white? I'm talking about all, right? It's way bigger than black, white. We have not known each other on a spiritual level. And I think that is so obvious 
from the enemy. I think that is evil. I think we fell for it. I think we didn't know scripture. I think we had bad leadership and pastors. I think we, we twisted things and we have such an uphill climb because I read from 1 Peter 2 just a minute ago, right? What I didn't show you and what we're not getting in today is two paragraphs later where it says, servants, obey your masters. And how easy that was to abuse power-hungry people and pastors that would stand and then justify things and slavery and false teach and false gospel and, and people, well, pastor said it must be true and it was advantageous and it wasn't corrected. And then all of a sudden we got this just horrendous reality of oppression and slavery in our history. Proximity means we know each other spiritually. Right, we, we've always made the joke, all right, we're, we're, when we planted this church, we're, we're, we're going for a little more than I got a black friend, right? We're going for like real, but, but honestly, how I would talk to a room like this, and, and honestly, I've, I've gotten uh, asked, I got, um, they asked me to come to Kentucky where we were for many years and, and speak to a group of almost all white pastors about how to have a multi-ethnic church, and it was like, it was frustrating because it was like, you know, it was a formula like, hey, say this and take this pill and then your church will be multi-ethnic. It's like, that's not, that's not how it works. And, and in that, I said, listen, it's not about, yes, there's racism and, and that needs to be spoken against and dealt with. And yes, 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 yes. But most of the people in your church are not hatred, right? I hate people that look that way. Right, so, so the question is not, do you hate people that look a certain way? Here's how I would ask it to a room, and don't answer out loud. It's just not to call you out. Proximity means if we put a piece of paper in front of you and you write all the names, write all the names that you've studied the Bible with that are different than you. Write, write, write all the names that you've prayed with that are different than you. Write all the names in your life that you've taken communion with that are different than you. And that's where the stats are just crushing because it exposes the reality. Some of you would have names on that paper. We took communion together back here in the worship team uh, beforehand, just beautiful, right? We have communion over here. Sometimes we do it as a church. Sometimes you do it as worship before and after. That's up to you. We do it in small groups and homes. But most of America, this isn't arguable, most of America churched, forget the people that don't go, just American churchgoers, most of them have a blank sheet. Yes, they, they have friends and relationships, but they've never spiritually walked with anybody that doesn't look like them. And before you think I'm like throwing stones and getting mad, like that was a lot of us. In this church, a lot of us, almost all of us, this is our first go at multi-ethnic church. It was so beautiful. We, we have small groups. We'll talk about small groups at the, in the coming weeks, at the end of this service too. Um, but some of our, our uh, African-American small group leaders, just, we we're just talking and sitting you know, years ago and saying, don't make a big deal about it, but it is a big deal. Like There's a lot of white people that have never sat under the leadership in a small group of anybody that wasn't white in their entire life. That's, that matters. 
right? Because spiritual proximity is we're growing, we're learning from others that are different, we're praying, we're walking, we're studying the Bible, and for a whole lot of America, have you ever done that? A lot of people's answer, well, yeah, because I went on a mission trip. That don't count. <laughs> mission trips are great and they count for God, but they don't count. Like that's not relationships when you see somebody for 10 days and don't ever see them again. The power in the multi-ethnic church that we've never tasted is spiritual identity. We got the same identity in Christ and proximity. We're going to walk through stuff together, which is awesome and beautiful, but it's also messy because when we sit in a Bible study and we're reading 1 Peter 2, and it's so beautiful, and maybe some of us just breeze right back past the servants and masters piece, and then like some other people are like, wait, wait a second, time out. What are we talking about? What does that really mean? We're willing to take some of the mess to become the church that God called us to be because there's only one place on the planet that you can find identity in Christ and spiritual proximity to people different than you. And I'm not even talking about just race now. There's only one organization that you can find both who you are, who you were created to be, who God sees you as, who you really are, who you're at, who you are, and proximity and intimacy with people different than you. Only the multi-ethnic church of Jesus has both of those. Nothing else. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that good? Like we got enough hard and we talk about it. We need to latch on to how cool some of this is. And we're the only place, not just us, we're multi-ethnic movement is way bigger than us, obviously, right? If you want identity in Christ and proximity to others, the multi-ethnic church is the only shot you got. I love that. I get pumped about that. God gets glory when the church leads the stuff the church was supposed to lead in. Right? And if you study the civil rights movement in this country, it was Jesus-centered people of all kinds of races, but it was the gospel. It doesn't get all the credit. Study the history. The gospel was right there to completely change our country. God gets glory when the church leads. God gets glory when we are what he called us to be. And he's got our back. Relentless church. Now, he's got our back. He's proven it. Some of you were there. When we started this church, it wasn't that multi-ethnic. And we haven't arrived, and God, like, we got so much work to do in our community. It's going to be beautiful. But, man, God just has brought what he's brought, how he's brought, and the stories are amazing. And, staff, I told you there's two black eyes on the multi-ethnic church, right? Um, the other one that I didn't mention is, is this messed-up version where, and again, not always, I, I tend to make white people mad sometimes. I don't mean to. I'm actually, I'm actually white. <laughs> so I, I'm not trying to make you mad. But, but the black eye is, um, <laughs> is a, a white-led church where people making decisions and, and, and moving the budget and leading everything are very homogenous, monolithic, one race. It wouldn't have to be white, right? And then they talk and want a multi-ethnic congregation. So they don't want a multi-ethnic church. They want a multi-ethnic congregation with really all the decision-making and power still, right? And that's, that's backward. That's not right. That's not what God called us to be. And you see that in scripture. We've preached on how God would, would move leadership so that there was uh, voices at the table so we could be. It's so beautiful what he called us to be. It's hard, but it's so beautiful 
what he's called us and what we're learning to step into. So for us, you know, we, we just hired, uh, here's our staff on the screen. Um, and we hired Takesha. We don't even have a staff picture. So she, she's all by herself over there. It's kind of sad in her, in her picture. And, and I need you to tell you again, just like when we've made other hires, like we, we would have been happy to hire a white person or Hispanic, like a Latino, uh, Asian. Like we're not, we're never job description. Hey, we're looking for this. God, in his goodness, who's called us to be a multi-ethnic church, not because, hey, cool fad, I need something in Raleigh. No, because in Jesus killed the hostility and made two one and said, I'm going to make something that has, makes people say, that must be real for that to happen in whatever culture or society. So we're just going back to our roots in the scriptures. But anyway, when we hire, we, we're not looking. We're just looking for the best person that God brings us. And he has consistently brought us who he's brought us in his way, right, to bring us joy from L.A. And, and it's not just, you know, her skin color. It's her life. It's her experience. It's her West Coastness. It's her inner cityness. It's, it's all that, that we need that perspective in our staff. So when we're looking for somebody to help with our children, and here we have Takesha Dockery Raglan, who's been in our church for years. We met her through basketball, just serving, faithfully, quiet. And then we find out, like, she, she's done children's ministry like crazy, big church. She wrote a book on children's ministry. It's on Amazon. Nobody told me. Right? So, so here we're like, whoa. I we're talking to her. It's like, well, maybe she like burnt bridges. She worked at these big churches. I'm going to call them and see what, like, well, how did they let her go? And everyone are like, you're nuts if you don't hire her. It was the worst thing that happened when she left us. And, and if you got like, you know, this little small church over here doing our thing. And God dropped Takesha in our lap. Amen. Right? And it's not just our staff. It's, it's. It's our leaders, it's, it's, man, it's you, it's you, it's, he's doing this to let us know, like, this was my idea, right? I got you. It's my multi-ethnic church, right? Next week, we're going to celebrate Vasti, right? Because Vasti, and it's, it's, it's mixed emotions. Vasti's going to go help lead worship with her husband, um, who, who lead these amazing uh, churches in Spanish and beautiful, and they're going to be here next week. We're going to pray them out, and, and miss, oh my goodness, we're going to miss Vasti. She's meant so much, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to bed like worried of like, oh no, what are we going to do without, you know, our, our precious Dominican soul worship leader, right? Like God, like that's on you. Who are you going to bring? What are you going to do? And he does, and he will. He got it. He's in it because he's behind the multi-ethnic church. It's not me. It's not any human. So the, the question becomes, is the gospel enough? Like, because we, we, you know, we're talking about a lot of the good and the background, but there's, there's constantly issues. Is the gospel enough to, to keep us? I mean, the answer is yes, but why? Why? Is it, though, really? Man, something's, something's changing, just locally. Like, we're seven years old. We celebrated two weeks ago. We're seven years old. The first three years, maybe four years, I don't know if more than one person, when I say, hey, first time, when I meet people for the first time, how'd you get to Relentless? So-and-so invited me, which is, we love that. We love that you invite people, and we're getting closer to a time where you can invite anybody and everybody, and we, you know, we're going to get through this whole thing. And that was beautiful and great. But in the last three years, especially since we've been in this building, the last two years, the number one answer, how'd you get to Relentless? Like, you better keep inviting people. Don't ever stop. But the number one answer is not so-and-so invited me. You know what it is? 
I Googled multi-ethnic church. People are looking. Now, that's why we preach this message, because we don't know exactly what they mean always when they're looking for multi-ethnic church. So we're telling you what we think it is and what we feel like God's calling us to be. But there are people, and I got to believe there's way more than we can imagine that have, that have been burnt here or given up here. Or why does that person, does that person speak for Jesus? Or I'm done with church because of this, that, or whatever. And they just want to believe is there may be a church. They're not going to be perfect, but man, they're chasing Jesus and they're multi-ethnic in a real way built on identity in Christ and spiritual proximity. That's not just sitting together on Sunday and everybody going their separate ways. That's what's been so hard about the pandemic. It's been really hard to be in each other's lives, but a church that's really, really doing life across all kinds of generational, racial, political lines. Some of you were in um, Carter Finley, Last night, I heard there was a game, right? A big, a big win. It's cool that, you know, stadiums are opening back up, I guess. But, but you, see, you go in a stadium with your team and you see your colors and it's just warm. And it's just like, man, these are my people, right? For three hours or four hours, whatever. But I've been in, that's not your people for real, right? It's your people for the game. And I get that. I got nothing to say to you. Props, credit, good. But if you got to go do life with whoever you were sitting with on that section, that's another issue. That's not, I've been in my teams, like, I'm all with you, we're wearing it, but I'm not, that is, you're not my people. Like, we cheer for the same team. That's not going to get us through this life. <laughs> that's not enough. Like, you cheer for the same team as me, that's all we got in common? We're going to break down quickly in life. We can get along in a stadium, but in real life, if you're my neighbor, we got problems, right? So... For life, what do we got in common? It's Jesus. That's real. It's not a cliche. It is enough. I'm telling you, the difference between real, what we're doing, and kind of the fake version. The fake version is, hey, we're different. We look different. We come from a different place. We do different language, whatever. We look, but we believe in the same God. That's not enough. Believing in the same God is not enough. The difference between we believe in the same God and we are family. Your God is my God. Your father is my father. That makes you my brother or sister, right? We're rescued and adopted and adopted people live in the same house. I'm not coming up with this. Look, Ephesians 2. For, this is the rest of that verse we started with. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then, here's the result of everything that happened on the cross. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What do we call people that live in the same house again? We call them family. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Not family that will one day worship together in heaven and until then we just do our own segregated thing. No, we're family now, today, built on Jesus. We, we went to some beautiful multi-ethnic conferences to learn from other people. And one of the speakers, um, Gabe Salguero, he had this great line. He said, multi-ethnic church is not sitting beside me in church. Multi-ethnic churches, you can marry my sister. Right? That's a beautiful line. You just like think about what it, it, it ain't. Hey, I can sit beside somebody that looks different than me. It is you, whoever sit beside me can marry my sister, and I'm cool with that. Like that's that's what is deep into this beautiful thing that we are continuing to plow through with. We're family built on the same thing. You know, we disagree about college sports. We talk about that a lot. Some of you hate sports, and you're welcome here too. 
right? <laughs> and if you hate sports, then I'm going to get on your nerves. I acknowledge that. But the one thing we can agree on as a church is not college sports. It is, it is the Panthers, whether you're first team or second team. God is a uniting factor of us. So that's, if that's a deal breaker for you, you need to pray through that. Um, God's working. Multi-ethnic church and the Panthers are 3-0. Come on, right? McCaffrey got hurt. One of our best players got hurt the other night. And they asked one of the guys in the locker room, like, are you, are you worried now with him being out? Are you worried you guys can keep playing so well? And I forget the dude's name, the answer. He's like, we're not the Carolina Christian McCaffreys. He's like, we're the Carolina Panthers. We're not the Carolina Christian McCaffreys. We're not built on one man. Church, we are. We are built on one man whose name is Jesus, right? And this is, this may be scary to say, but the multi-ethnic church is the test on whether this Jesus is who we say he is. If he's real and he called a shot from Genesis to Revelation and Jews and Gentiles and now we're catching on in America and it's coming and it's 20 years old and it's growing, we've seen movement in the multi-ethnic movement. When I first started reading about this 15 years ago, uh, multi-ethnic churches made up 6 or 7% of American churches. Today in 2021, they're 18 to 20% of American churches. Now, that's still a minority, but that's triple, y'all. And, and that should take a lifetime. When, if you study sociology, that progress usually should take 50 years. In 15 years, we've tripled. It's coming, y'all. God's moving here locally and globally because it's true and he can handle it. So here's what we're going to be. We're going to be a church that's... Together, generationally, right? I love, we didn't put that in our cute little phrase, gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic, generate, because that would mess up. It's, just, it's fun to say, right? So you throw in generation, it loses something. We didn't know, honestly. I didn't, I didn't plan a church thinking we got to have representation from generations, right? I wasn't, I'm, that's, that's bad on me. Man, we're so blessed to have, you know, the run of the spectrum, we young people, not so young people. Together in this church, there's some families that, like, they got three, four generations that come and worship and do this together. Like, how, how beautiful is that? And, and, and we don't pound on generations here. Like, I hate that. When people my age are like, this next generation, yeah, they're so soft, right? And I'm like, first of all, how can a whole generation be soft, right? That's impossible. <laughs> Second of all, who raised them? Like, you can't have a soft generation that had hard parents. The only way to get a soft kid is soft parents. So they're not all soft, but if they are, they had soft parents. That's on you. All right, now I'm just, now I'm pounding on generation. I said I wouldn't do that. What I love about, <laughs> what I love about our young people, when I say young people now, I don't even know what's young anymore, right? For young to me, I'm talking about our college, our high school students, our 20s, and even our 30s. What I love is like multi-ethnic is like, Man, every part of my life is integrated. My dorm is, my, my college, my friends, my wedding, like we're, we're getting past the days where all the groomsmen and like, we're, it's my whole life is integrated. I'm not gonna sit in a church and go to a Bible study with all people that look like me. I'm done with that, right? So, so they've just decided that's not who they are and I think God's in that, right? So it scares some churches. It doesn't scare us, it, it excites us. It's who we're gonna be generationally, racially. You, we've heard, we talk about that. We'll talk about that more um, of, of who we are. And then the one that is maybe the most toxic today is politically. 
We don't believe that God resides in a political party. And in some ways, this is dividing people way more than race. Our, our, one of our mentors in the multi-ethnic church, Dr. Derwin Gray, who's uh, in Charlotte, um, has been so good to our staff, so good to our, our church. If you're ever in Charlotte for the weekend, find Transformation Church. And he says, you know, that we don't, we don't follow an elephant or a donkey. We follow the lamb, right? The lamb of God in Jesus. It's, uh, it can be hard, right? But, but it is beautiful. I, I love the word magnificent. Let me show you this quote, and we're going to head home. Uh, anybody see Hamilton? Right, right, Hamilton fans. Amazing, right? I was just, I won't call you out back there. We were just having a conversation two hours ago. Have you seen Hamilton? Dude says, I don't watch musicals. That was me. I don't want anything to do because I don't come into my house and, hey, honey, how are you? I don't, I like, <laughs> you lost me. If you're going to sing your lines, I don't, I'm never going to watch that. That's not real. But somehow, some way, I, I was like, okay, let's see what the, all this buzz is about. I didn't see it in the in the, you know, theater or the Broadway or whatever. I saw it on Disney Plus, but wow. That's the only musical I've ever made it through, right? Still listen to the soundtrack. The, the dude that played Aaron Burr, his name's Leslie Odom Jr. They were asking him what he thought the first time he saw the movie. And I saw this quote and it's just been, it's been on my heart for years since I saw it. I want to share it with you. He said, everybody touched this thing and prayed for it and gave it their best because we thought it was worthy. I watched the movie and here's what I thought. Look at this magnificent thing we made together. Look at what can happen when these rooms look a lot more like our communities and our world. Look at what can happen when the table gets bigger, when the room expands and more people are invited to the party. If you're organizing around a table and everybody looks like you, everybody comes from where you come from, everybody has the same perspective as you, no way can you be as magnificent as this thing we created. Leslie Odom Jr. and, and, and Lynn Miranda, and, and the, like that, that, they, that's the church. That's us. We're magnificent. We are, we are the concoction, the, the, the coming together of and, and beauty and magnificent. And we've missed out on that in America. And we don't have that story, but we're gonna. That's what God is building, and we're a part of it, and this is who we are. We want you to be, and if you're ready to like, okay, I'm in on that. I got some questions, but I'm in on that. What do I do? Let me give you some to-do steps as we go. First, welcome to Relentless. If you've never been, that's tomorrow night. It ain't too late. Sign up. RSVP, we want to know you're coming. We're going to bless you, give you a little food. That's tomorrow night. That's a great first step. Secondly, small groups. We haven't been able to do small groups because of the pandemic. So here's what we need. We're, this, this week, we're going to see who sign up, signs up. You can sign up for an online group or in a home group. We're going to see. Man, everybody's still online? Cool. We're going to do an online group. It's not the same, but it's, it's, it's something. It's spiritual growth together. We're going to go through Esther together as a church in our small group and in our message series, which starts next week. It's going to be good stuff. So you can get in on that. That starts in a couple weeks. We'll get all the details to you, but we need to know, are you, want, are you ready? Are you want to go to somebody's house and do this for six weeks or you want to do online? All right, so welcome to this. And then the last thing that we get to announce, uh, it's, been, it's been a great way to, it's going to be a great way to end this series because it's a pretty amazing thing that happened quickly. But uh, we have partnered with um, an organization called Right Now Media, and they're going to become, they're our long-term partners. And it provides a resource to you as the church, online, everybody. If you're in our database, if you've done a Connect card ever, if you ever got an email, you're going to get an email in the next 30 minutes or so. They send this out. 
And you got to just go on and create an account. Simple. They brand themselves as the Christian Netflix. So what they are is their curriculum. And when I started studying them and I went on there and on their front page was these speakers and videos. And this is so hard to find is any kind of multi-ethnic It seems to be so not that way at a lot of places and stores and websites. Well, there was Dr. Tony Evans front and center. There was Dr. Derwin Gray in Charlotte. There was Jenny Allen that many of you know from the IF conference. There's a dude from the Middle East. Like it was all kinds of, so then when I had the conversation with them, I was like, did y'all do that? Like, cause you knew we were a multi-ethnic church and you just kind of gave us the multi-ethnic version. It was like, no, that's who we are. So there is, check it, 18,000. That's what we got now. Instead of having a little library back here with a few books and a video series, there's 18,000 studies that are yours for free as a part of Relentless Church. And then you give it to a friend. They don't even have to come here. You can get them in on it. This is what we're going to use going forward for small groups, for teams, for your personal study, right? You, you don't, for your families. There's a ton of kids stuff. There's a ton of marriage stuff. And it's, it's multi-ethnic. It's who we are. So when you get that email, sign up. We'll tell you all about that going forward, how we're going to use that in groups and teams and church and life. This is a blessing, Right, that we can all be studying and growing together and then come together on Sunday mornings and worship this God. So get in on a small group, come to Welcome to Relentless. Right now, media is where it's at. It's an app. You'll be hearing a ton more about that. But today is the launch, and we are going to become the multi-ethnic church that God called us to be. I hope that you'll join us. If you'll stand up, I'm going to pray you home My goodness, I went long. I'm sorry to the kids, people. I'm praying quick. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your multi-ethnic church. We thank you for Jesus. We pray and go home in Jesus' name. Amen.